there is a classic Calvin and Hobbes comic strip that uh, depicts what life often feels like. The comic is a series of panels, and each sort of scene depicts part of uh, one day in the life of Calvin. So first, Calvin sits on a wad of bubblegum. And then, his teacher catches him glancing at his classmate's test. Then, after that class ends and the period goes to the next period, when he's going from class to class in the hall, he's knocked down in the hallway by a bully. And he goes to get a drink at the water fountain, and it sprays all in his face. And then for his next class, the bug that he brought for show and tell escapes from the container. (laughs) Wasn't quite dead. Then recess comes, and he gets picked last at recess. There's a hair in his lunch, and when he heads to the swing set... All the seats are occupied. Finally, when it's time to go home, he misses the bus and he must walk home in the rain. In his bedroom that evening, Calvin looks at his trusted tiger and says, You know, Hobbes, someday. Even my lucky rocket ship underpants don't help. (laughs) I think we need more than lucky rocket ship underpants. Although they do help. Life is hard. It's hard because it's full of suffering. And, and what we need in the face of suffering, what we, what we truly need, whether it's, it's suffering that we personally experience in our life, or it's the suffering that is around us and in the lives of those that we love and care for, what we truly need is wisdom. We need deep Seated wisdom. And in a way, that is why the book of Job has been written. It is what we classify as wisdom literature. It's a story. It's a story about a man who goes through a lot of suffering. But It's a story that conveys more than just the facts of what Job went through. The story conveys wisdom for life in a broken world. So, so far in the last six sermons, we've we've sort of unpacked the wisdom lessons that we learn from the book of Job. Lessons about us as believers and our suffering. Lessons about 
God and his sovereignty and our suffering. Lessons about Satan and suffering and, and, and how that all works out. Lessons about our emotions and how they all play into our suffering. Lessons about sin and suffering. And, and then finally, last time, lessons about counsel or advice and suffering. And as helpful as these wisdom lessons have been, and they've been helpful. They've been helpful to me and your feedback to me. They've been helpful to you. As helpful as these have been, there is a sense in which they have all been incomplete without what Job says when we get to chapter 28. What he says in chapter 28 really sort of complete the picture of the wisdom lessons that we have learned and that we will learn subsequent to this. So I want you to open there to Job 28, if you're not there already. It's page 538, if you're borrowing a Bible in the pew. Job chapter 28. And this chapter, if you, if you look at it, and if you're reading through the book of Job, it, it almost seems out of place. It, it sort of breaks the flow, and it's sort of a, an aside, as it were, in the book of Job. But, but I think it's that way for a reason, because the chapter holds, just the chapter itself, holds a great lesson for us on wisdom and suffering. And I'm so thankful I'm so thankful God has given us this chapter to us in the Bible because sometimes, if you're like me, wisdom seems so elusive. It, it, seems, it seems hard to grasp. It seems sort of somewhere out there and we got to sort of go on a search to find wisdom. We need wisdom but where in the world do we find it? How, how does it come about? This is exactly the question that Job is answering and really asking and answering in this chapter. Where is wisdom found? Well, look with me at chapter 28 and verse 12. This is what Job is asking. But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Job desperately wants to know. And, and I know this because he asks it again in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? The questions lead us to an answer. We're meant to find an answer. But before we can get to that answer, before we can get there, we have to see where wisdom does not come from. I mean, this is great rhetorical skill. You, you want to learn about something, the nature of it. you got to first see where and what the nature is not. And so this is what Job does. He shows us where wisdom cannot be found. And there are two places that he mentions where wisdom cannot be found. First, he says, wisdom cannot be found by human means. 
Wisdom cannot be found by human means. Look at me, look with me at verse 1 of chapter 28. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Now here, in these first few verses, it is a poetical description of searching the depths of the earth. It's a description of what, here it is, of what mankind can accomplish with his own wisdom, as it were, with his own ability and skill. But it falls short. So let's read these verses. Again, verse 1. Surely there is a mine for silver and a place where they refine gold. Iron is taken from the dust and copper is smelted from the rock. Man puts an end to darkness and to the farthest limit he searches out the rock in gloom and deep shadow. He sinks a shaft far from habitation, forgotten by the foot. They hang and swing to and fro far from men. The earth, from it comes food and underneath it is turned up as fire. Its rocks are the source of sapphires and its dust contains gold. The path no bird of prey knows way deep down in there. Nor has the falcon's eye caught sight of it. The proud beasts have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the base. He hews out the channels through the rocks, and his eyes sees anything precious. He dams up the streams from flowing, and what is hidden he brings out to light. Again, it's a poetical description of mining the depths of the earth. And yet, and yet, with all of our advances in technology, medicine, and science, even today, in our post-enlightened, post-modern world, verse 12 rings out loud and clear still. Where can wisdom be found? The point is, it is not found by human means. This is what Job is saying. Look at all mankind has done to mine the depths of the earth, and yet he has not found wisdom there. Second, wisdom cannot be found by human money. Not only by human means, but by human money. Check out what he says in verse 15. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, that is for wisdom, nor can silver be weighed as it is pure, as its, excuse me, as its price. Verse 16, it cannot be valued, wisdom cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned 
and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pure pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Wisdom can't be purchased. It can't be purchased with human money. And the summary, the summary, Job says in verse 20, right after verse 19, where then does wisdom come from? Well, in contrast to these two ways of wisdom, human means and human money, where is wisdom come from? Here's the answer. Wisdom is found in the Lord. Look with me at verse 23. Verse 23. God understands its wisdom's way, and he knows wisdom's place. God knows the place of wisdom. Why? Because it's from him. God is the source of true wisdom, especially in suffering. And so this is the key to where wisdom is found. We find wisdom in God, in the fear of the Lord. Look what he says at the end, as he finally gets to the answer here at the end of verse 28. And to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And apart from evil is understanding. So here's the main point of what Job is trying to communicate. The main lesson that we get from this chapter. True wisdom in suffering can only be found in the fear of the Lord. True wisdom in suffering can only be found in the fear of the Lord. And in order to understand what I just said, we have to understand what wisdom is and why it's such a big deal, and we have to understand what the fear of the Lord is. So what is wisdom, and what is the fear of the Lord? First, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Well, in my study, I ran across a really good definition by J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer defines wisdom in this way. Wisdom is, quote, the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Now, I think that, I think that definition is, is good, but it's a little bit wordy <laughs> for me. Wisdom, in simpler terms, is knowledge applied to life to achieve the best goal, the best end. That's what wisdom is. Well, let me give you an illustration to maybe demystify this a little bit. I was so excited to learn to drive and to actually have my license and drive. I got my license to drive on the day I turned 16. Not a day later. <laughs> I was so ready to get out there. 
and to drive and to be my own man, as it were. But I also was a little nervous when I first learned to drive. So I'll never forget, I get my license at the DMV. They give me that license, you know, they print it out. I see my picture on there. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is real. I have a license to drive. And so I get in my car and I'm, and I'm nervous. I'm a little nervous. I'm excited, but I'm nervous. And so I go to back out of my parking spot, but instead of putting it in reverse, I put it in drive. <laughs> and I literally, and, and you know how when you first learn to drive, you like trying to figure out the, the, the sensitivity of the gas pedal? I kind of floored it. <laughs> and I just went right up over the curb. just want to tell you that that's never happened again. <laughs> I have learned wisdom since then on how to drive. You see, what had happened is I had read all the books. I had taken the driver's ed course. I had passed the exams, but I had very little practical wisdom when it came to driving. Over time, Though, I've learned the skill and I've gained wisdom in driving. Wisdom knows when to yield, when to slam on the brakes, and when to step on the gas. Now, of course, accidents still happen. My wisdom and your wisdom is not perfect. But you get the point. Wisdom is the ability to harness knowledge that you have and apply it to a life to achieve the best ends. Now, I want to say wisdom when it comes to driving is one thing. In life and in suffering, wisdom is altogether a different thing. Wisdom, as it may seem to you from my car illustration, increases with age and experience. And that's partly true. Only partly true. But not entirely true. Just because you are old or older does not mean that you are wise. Wisdom... True wisdom that applies knowledge to a life of suffering only comes from the Lord. And so what is the fear of the Lord? What is it? As it says in verse 28, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Well, I've never quite understood what wisdom, the fear of the Lord is, until a few years ago. A teacher helped me to see the fear of the Lord by giving me two categories, two broad categories of fear. So let me try to break this down for you and help explain this to you. In one sense, there is a fear that is what we could call a, a terror fear. 
And terror fear is that fear that is present when you are afraid of a situation or a person that could harm you, that could bring suffering into your life. That's, that's the terror, fear that you feel when you could be physically, financially, emotionally, or spiritually harmed. Kids, for example, sometimes have terror, fear of their parents' discipline, particularly maybe of their father's discipline. In another sense... There is another kind of fear that we could call worship fear. Worship fear. And this kind of fear is a fear that stands in awe and reverence of someone or something. So you might have this kind of fear when you're standing at the top on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And you're overlooking just the magnitude in the vastness of this canyon we call the Grand Canyon. And the fear in your heart in that moment would be something along the lines of worship fear, of reverence, of awe at the greatness of this canyon. So you have these two concepts, terror fear and worship fear. Now I want to illustrate for you the difference between the two in order to arrive at what the fear of the Lord is. So let me give you two separate scenarios here. What happens when you're driving down the highway and you run across a police car? What, what is your initial reaction, usually? It's usually check your speed and tap on the brakes. Right? By default, that happens. Why do you do that? Because there is a sense in which you have, stick with me here, you have terror fear of the police car. You have terror fear of the authorities. You do not want a ticket for speeding. I've gotten several of those, and I'll tell you, they're not fun by any stretch of the imagination. They produce terror in my heart now. <laughs> now, different situation. Let's say that you are working a retail job. And one night, it's your night to close. That means you have to shut off all the lights, lock up, and leave. And you do that, and you're the last person around. And as you lock up, you head to your car, and out of the corner of your eye, when you're going to your car, you notice three men start to move toward you. What happens? Your heart starts to beat a little faster. You start to get a little nervous. And so you pick up your pace to your car. And as you pick up your pace, you notice that the three men pick up their pace toward you. When the men are 30 feet from your car, 30 feet from your car, out of the corner of your eye, you see the flashing lights of a police car. 
And that police car, you recognize, starts to head in your direction, in the direction of you and the three men. And what happens? The three men immediately start to run the other direction. And that police car knows what is happening, and he chases down those three men. Now, at that moment that you notice that police car, no longer do you have terror fear. Not even terror fear of the police. In that moment, you have something that resembles more of what we could call worship fear. Why? Because you recognize the police officer undoubtedly saved your life. Or at least maybe saved your car from being stolen. Now, if you think about these two illustrations, the thing about these two fears, terror fear on the one hand and worship fear on the other hand, is they are two extremes on either end. That's how I painted them. This means that there is a spectrum between the two. So you might move in your heart in any given situation from terror to dread to trembling to astonishment to awe to reverence to devotion to trust to worship. So having said all of that, here's where this hits home. Here's where this hits home to us. If you are not a Christian, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the fear of the Lord that is spoken about here doesn't really exist in your life. Or at least it's not complete. What do I mean by this? What I mean by this is that the fear of God should produce terror in you. That should be the fear you experience in your heart. Why? Because God is holy and righteous. And he will punish your sin for all eternity. That's a terror fear that you should feel as an unbeliever. But on the other hand, as believers, our terror fear, yes, we have in a sense terror fear, but that terror fear has moved to what? It's moved to worship fear. So I like what one pastor, one author, how he defines the fear of the Lord. He says, the fear of the Lord is the awe and reverence. It's the awe and reverence left over when the frightening vulnerability before the greatness of God is mixed with joy and security upon experiencing the goodness of God. Let me shorten that. You're feverishly trying to write that down. The fear of God is the worship fear that replaces the terror fear. The fear of God is the worship fear that replaces the terror fear. A person, listen, a person who fears the Lord, trusts, loves, worships, and stands in awe of God above all else.
So let me review what I've said about wisdom and about the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to life to achieve the highest, the best goal or outcome. And the fear of the Lord is the worship fear that is left over when the terror fear is gone. Now I want to answer an important question about why the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Why is the fear of the Lord wisdom? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you've read many, many times in the Bible that say the fear of the Lord is either wisdom or the beginning of wisdom. Why is that the case? Why is the fear of the Lord wisdom? Here's the answer. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom because when you worship, love, and honor God above all else, you are simultaneously, at that same time, teachable and humble toward him. That's what's happening in your heart. When you are worshiping him, when you are honoring him, when you love him above all things, you are in a position, you are in a posture of teachability toward him. And so in that posture, you can receive wisdom. This is why Proverbs, a book all about wisdom, says that, quote, with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 11.2. So here's what you want to know this morning. Yes, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. As Job says here in this passage, it is wisdom. So how do you and I get wisdom? Like, this is what we want to know. If the fear of the Lord is wisdom, how do I get wisdom, especially for the suffering that I experience every day to one degree or another in my life? So I want you right now, I want you to think about all that is in your life that is not in the category that we could call sin. Remember last time we talked about these three categories the Bible teaches about us? We are saints, we are sinners, and we are sufferers. I want you to think about all that's in your life that is not a saint and a, and a sinner. I want you to think about all that is that is suffering in your life right now. Let me help you with this. The tumors, the cancer, the pain, the trauma, the abuse, the pressures. What do you do when life is falling apart? What decisions should you make when you're pressed financially, physically, relationally, emotionally? We need wisdom in the face of suffering all the time. So how do we get wisdom? Well, it starts with the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts. It starts when your heart and my heart is captivated and captured by God so that our terror fear turns into worship fear. You see, the reality of it is, friends, listen, the reality of it is, as the Bible teaches us, you and I, we are naturally prone to self-reliance. We are naturally prone to live for our own kingdoms. It's what we talked about in the CE hour prior to this. 
Why do we fear? We fear primarily, we have this sinful fear because we are focused on ourselves. We live for our own kingdom and are driven by our own kingdom fears. This is what our hearts are like naturally in without Christ. Listen to what Paul Tripp says about this. He has such a way of penetrating and being very helpful. Here's what he says. He says the kingdom of self is driven by all kinds of fears. Fear of man, fear of discomfort and difficulty, fear of failure, fear of not getting your own way. I mean, on and on and on. And then he says, the principle here is that if God doesn't own the fear of your heart, he will not own your life. You and I, he says, are always living to avoid what we dread. If we dread displeasing God more than anything else, because our hearts have been captured by a deep, worshipful, and loving awe of him, we will live in new ways. We will live in wisdom. What are these new ways of living? How can receive wisdom? There are three ways that I want to point out to you this morning. Three ways. First, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. So first, when you fear God, when you worship him, when you have all in your heart toward him above all else, first, you will receive wisdom from God's word. You will live according to the word of God, not by, not by sight, but by faith. Psalm 19, verse 7. The testimony of the Lord, that is God's word, is sure. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. Psalm 119, verse 98. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. The entire Bible, says Ed Welch, is a textbook on the fear of the Lord. Second, second, not only does the fear of the Lord teach us to receive, receive by faith God's word, but the fear of the Lord teaches us to ask for wisdom. Remember, the fear of the Lord puts us in this state of, of, of humility, this state of teachability. And so we ask for wisdom. And this is exactly what James says in James chapter 1, verse 5. Don't turn there, but listen. James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him ask, let him ask of God, the source of wisdom, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, I want to remind you about this passage in James. Do you remember what the, the context of this passage? The context of this passage is a person who is suffering. It's a person who, James says, is undergoing various trials, as James puts it. In James 1, verse 2. So, when we fear the Lord, 
We receive wisdom from God's word. Secondly, we ask the Lord for wisdom. And third, and most importantly, not only does the fear of the Lord teach us to receive wisdom from God's word and wisdom in asking God, who is the source of wisdom, wisdom is received in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Wisdom is received in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, the reality of it is, is that the search for wisdom is a search for a person. It is. Wisdom is not primarily a thing. Wisdom is a person. And Jesus is the wisdom of God. Paul says in Jesus Christ, in Colossians, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, Jesus, infinitely more than Job, feared God and turned away from evil. And as a Christian, as a Christian, Jesus has become to you. He has become to you by God's doing, 1 Corinthians says, the wisdom of God. Jesus has become to you, believer. He has become to you the wisdom of God. So your search for wisdom, brothers and sisters, your search for wisdom is ultimately a search for God himself. It's a search for God himself. This is the fear of the Lord. It is, it is the worship of him above all else. It is the satisfaction that when all is said and done and there are no answers in your life to why you are suffering and the pain is not taken away, you can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. It is no surprise to me, I find it no surprise what God says about Job in the very first chapter of this book. You don't have to turn there, but you may remember the words. You remember God comes to Satan and he says, have you considered my servant Job? And do you remember what God says about Job? This is so fascinating to me. God says about Job, he is blameless and upright. And then you know what he says? He fears God. Job fears God and he turns away from evil. How do I know that Job feared God? How do I know that Job feared God? Because when all was taken from him, He worshiped. Then Job arose and tore his robes and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. You see, as you read through the book of Job, Job suffered, and then he went through this long period that we just went through, of this back and forth with his friends. And Job, at times, desperately wanted answers. He wanted answers to know why he was suffering. But he received very little. Very little answers. But you know what Job did receive? 
Job received God. He received God in his suffering. And that's the point. That's the point for us. At the end of the day, the lesson we learn from the book of Job is not how to manage our suffering. It's not how to escape our suffering. It's not even how to heal from our suffering. The lesson that we learn from the book of Job is that suffering is meant to lead us to a person. A person. God in Jesus Christ. True wisdom. True wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to be content satisfied, and to worship God in the face of suffering. For he gives and he takes away. I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I heard a testimony, you know, last week at our service, if you weren't here, we had a baptism service and we had seven people give their testimonies. And it was a wonderful time. And I'll never forget, though, many, many years ago, I heard a testimony of a man named John. John was a traveling musician, not magician, musician, music. And along with that lifestyle, um, he, he lived, just to put it like this, he, he lived a life going from one gig to the next on drugs, alcohol, and women. I mean, that was, that was John's constant life outside of his performances. He was, he was, he was, he was caught in the throes of, of, of sin. And over time, this sin brought upon years and years of suffering and pain in his life. And John became a believer. He was in his late 50s when he came to the Lord. And I got to see John be baptized. And John said something that will always stick with me. He said at his baptism that the shortest poem in the English language is this. Born suffered, died. That pretty much sums up life, John said. But then, John went on to say that the poem no longer fits his life. The poem needed a change. And here's how John changed the poem. Born, suffered, born again. Christianity, listen, Christianity does not count, cancel out our suffering, brothers and sisters. Christianity does not remove the suffering. Christianity does not always give us the answers in suffering. You know what Christianity does? Christianity gives us 
the wisdom in suffering, because ultimately Christianity gives us a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who suffered and bled in our place. Amen?